Welcome to Kindred, hosted by me, Kate, and my sister, Jen. In this podcast, we explore our human relationship to the natural world. In connecting to this planet, we also connect to understanding, compassion, and empathy. How can we see ourselves not as separate or above animals in nature, but a critical and integrated part of an active ecosystem? Through conversations with animal advocates, scientists, conservationists, and many others, we look to inspire a new awareness of how and why we connect to animals and nature in order to repair and restore our relationship to the natural world. Hello and welcome to Kindred, Jennifer. How are you today? I am very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We just got back from a huge family trip up to our cabin in the mountains where we did lots of work and I think we're all recovering, but yeah, feeling good. Feeling good. Jennifer, I'm just going to jump right in because I'm super pumped about this episode today and it's one that you and I've wanted to cover for a real long time. Um, and today we have the honor and pleasure of speaking with evolutionary biologist and cognitive zoologist, Dr. Matthias Osvat from Lund University in Sweden. And we are learning all about the incredible raven today. So pretty pumped about that. It's one of our favorite bird, birds, isn't it? Yeah, they are so cool. Yeah. And we, re like you said, we really are excited to have this conversation with such a uh an amazing scholar and right yeah what a big brain talking about a smaller really bit smart brain so oh, yes right and you and i were just recently in sedona arizona and we saw a very cool group i don't know murder of ravens whatever they're called um that were very near our hotel and it was just so cool to watch them for even a minute and just you could see there was an instant di dynamic with them and just they're just kind of otherworldly you know yeah there's there's definitely something about them yeah yeah and maybe that's i don't know maybe that's just our animal instincts picking up on how smart they are you know i mean dr osfat calls them flying primates so that gives yeah. you information about how how smart they are um yeah so very very excited um so a bit about our guest today Dr. Matthias Osvat, a renowned researcher in animal cognition and evolutionary biology, revolutionized our understanding of raven intelligence and planning. That is for sure. His groundbreaking work challenged the notion that planning was exclusive to humans and primates. Beyond research, he strives to bridge the gap between science and society by promoting a deeper appreciation for the cognitive capabilities of animals and their ethical treatment. Dr. Osfat currently is a cognitive zoologist at Lund University in Sweden. And like I said, today we are talking about cognition, but in context to the raven, which is a bird. And I'm only mentioning that because, well, here, let me just read you the definition of cognition. So uh, the definition of cognition is the mental action or process of acquiring knowledge and understanding through thought experience and the senses and this is in context to a bird right not a human not a primate a raven and i think you know that's why i say you know give the definition of cognition i i really was just sort of like mulling over this definition and 
just how incredible it is that we're that this word can be applied to a bird is astounding to me. Um, yeah. And this is exactly why we wanted to talk about ravens because it's, I just feel like it's so critical for us humans to understand and recognize that we are not the only cognitive beings out there, right? Um, literally these, these, these brainy, amazing animals that he compares to primates in some way are flying all around us all the time. Um, so I just find that pretty incredible. Um, so make sure you guys uh, follow us on social media um, and head to our website, kindredpodcast.co, for guest links and show notes and our newsletter. And we'll be giving you more great content on Dr. Osfat and Ravens through those platforms. So you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the kindred pod for more lovely content about our guest today Woo-hoo! so let's head over to that conversation but first i will leave you with this and some of you may recognize what i'm about to read then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance at war though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou i said art sure no craven Ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore, quoth the raven nevermore. Dr. Osfat, welcome to Kindred and thanks so much for joining us today. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, thank you very much. So uh, my name is Matthias Osvat and I'm an associate professor in cognitive zoology. So I lead a research group where we're studying or studying comparing the sauropsidal lineage with the synapsidal lineage, which is the mammals with the reptiles and birds, to try to figure out how evolution of cognition kind of happened the last 325 million years. So that's what we're doing, to put it in a nutshell. <laughs> no, so no big deal. Just the last twenty-five million years. So you've got a couple of couple of years of work ahead of you. <laughs> no, three hundred and twenty-five million years. Oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so obviously, with that said, there is a lot of neurology we could get into, but we won't. But if you could start us off with a basic overview of the brain of a raven, who's who we're going to focus on today. I think it's important to talk about neurology a bit because it's critical in our understanding of their capability and quite frankly it's incredibly interesting and somewhat astounding well yes for for a long time people couldn't really understand how birds could be so smart with such tiny brains because like even even a raven which is quite big if you look at the brain still not very big compared to ours or a chimpanzee brain But what birds do, and in particular then songbirds and parrots, is that they pack enormous amount of neurons into a small volume. So they have like four times as many neurons per volume unit than a standard mammal, and two times as many as we do. Uh, So primates pack like twice as many as other mammals, but they pack even more. And then they have arrange their brains in interesting ways so that majority of those neurons are in what can be called the associative areas, which we often uh, um, associate with higher types of cognition, 
while we put most of our neurons in our little not little in our cerebellum that little lump in the back of your head right. that uh, steers your uh, motor abilities and so on. very important for cognition though but they have arranged it differently and that is probably why they can have so efficient cognition with such small heads mm, right interesting so so do they have a cerebellum oh yes yes so i can tell you a story about cerebellum and birds and primates yeah. if you want to yeah sure <laughs> so a long long time ago when so-called uh, homeothermic endothermy occurred or emerged and that homeothermic endothermy is when you're stably warm-blooded so okay. that you keep the your body temperature at the stable level and that happened independently in both uh, the dinosaurs and the mammals and now we know that when that happened both in these both lineages the number of neurons increased 20-fold wow. compared to a cold-blooded reptile with the same size and that's wow. enormous that's like 20 times more that's doesn't sound much but if you think of it it's quite a lot and what happened in the birds or the dinosaurs is that their cerebella increased proportionally more than the rest of the brain and the cerebella is about planning your movements uh -huh. and coordinating it with your eyes so it's super important in most of the things you do uh but what happened and that was not the case in the mammals however when we primates again regained like uh, diurnal vision so that we can see during the day we got color vision and the so-called fovea which right. makes it possible for us to see sharp in a certain area which has already existed in the older reptiles and so on but we were we i talk about mammals now <laughs> right we lived in the night for uh, hundreds of millions of years okay but when we regained that all of a sudden our cerebella started to blow up so we were doing it like birds but a bit later but then further on in evolution it was like if the birds well we have enough cerebella now so now we start to grow our forebrains right so that's what happened and then they rearranged things and no one really knows how they do it and also their neurons they can seem to consume a third of the glucose as our mammalian neurons do so that they it's still very still a lot of unknowns the only thing we know is that they're pretty smart right <laughs> right i'm already and feeling dumber <laughs> and like their brains are very efficient for what they have they, yes. they work very efficiently it seems like very efficient and then very focused and so good at what they're going to do so if we talk about you know we call people bird brains that's clearly <laughs> a compliment at this point if you call someone a bird brain yeah if you would build a brain as an engineer you wouldn't build a, a mammalian brain i would build right. like a bird brain probably right yeah well yeah so, so far so with that in mind i want to jump into what then are these amazing birds capable of so let's start with what are their executive functions yeah executive functions is just one of those um crash can terms which means and no one really knows what it is but it's like when you can make decisions so to speak right. you you uh, can forego uh, immediate temptations for better rewards in the future you can you can do a lot of things use, use in planning and so on it's often associ associated with our prefrontal cortex yeah so executive functions is uh very much associated with the the 
our prefrontal cortex, which is our most beloved part of the brain. We're okay. front heavy. And that makes it possible for us to select the right actions and go further and further into the future with those. So it's not that simple, but I won't go into any details, but uh, that's the case for ravens as well. So they have not a prefrontal cortex, but birds have what is called nidopallium caudiolaterale. You don't have to remember that, but that's the <laughs> I, I, analog I of the free prefrontal okay. cortex. Uh-huh. And that's super huge in corvids. Uh-huh. It more or less covers the whole forebrain. Oh, interesting. So that is probably why they're so good at, for example, self-control, that is foregoing a smaller immediate reward in, in for a bigger, more valuable reward in the future, why they can plan uh, quite intricately about things like, um, should I take this tool or should I take that tool, given what I know would probably happen in 15 or 20 minutes? So things wow. like that. Yeah. So can you give us like a, an example of like a study you've done that's shown that? Like, what does that look like? Uh, when you look at when you do studies like this, they are pretty boring because the, the, the time intervals in between are so long. So you, but so you, one study, a uh, classic study where you study planning is that you give the animal. No, first you have to the animal has to experience a situation. For example, uh, uh, where you need a certain tool to get to reward, like an apparatus that we build or something like that. Uh, and then they can use the tool. Usually we only allow it to do it once to avoid all kinds of habituations and associations and so on. Thereafter, we show the apparatus again, but they don't have any tools. And then they get frustrated. Uh-huh. So then an hour later or so on in, in a different room or position, they get a board from which from where they can select only one thing. So we have toys, which we know they like. We have the tool. And sometimes we also add then the immediate reward. Okay. And then they select, and then they have to keep this tool or cash it or whatever they do with it. So we just look at what they're doing. And then when the apparatus gets reinstalled in a room, which they couldn't even see when they selected, if they were took the right tool, they will be able to get the food. Mm-hmm. And that, you can play around with that to see whether if if um, the, the future reward or, or this apparatus is further away into the future, like 20 minutes, one hour, two hours a day. Wow. How does that affect their choice? Like, will is the immediate reward? Right. Does that become more valuable the longer into the future some the other reward is? And it yeah, it is. It becomes more valuable. So it's, uh, that's how humans function as well. Like, do you want to have $50 today or 100 in a year? So so they actually can delay their gratification is what you're saying. They, yes. they, they, that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. It I really mean, the, is. The implications of that are almost terrifying. <laughs> it's incredible. There are also other studies on the delay of gratification in um, corvids or and ravens. And that is that they they distract themselves. So if they have an edible piece that they can exchange for something better in the future, right? They start to distract themselves so not to eat it. Wow! <laughs> and this is also how uh, 
humans do it and yeah. children that are successful in the marshmallow test for example if you're familiar with that that's <laughs> what so that's kind of a, a meta thing okay what's the marshmallow test uh it's a it's an old classic test uh done on children that you, you put a marshmallow in front of them and then you tell them if you wait 15 minutes or whatever the time is you'll get two and then you leave the room and film the kid uh -huh. oh yeah i have seen uh variations on that before and watching them yeah yeah <laughs> so clearly they don't do that well. would would pass that with flying with flying colors um well, so I, I have one question before we leave this though because yeah. i was thinking about that and you were saying about the 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 the, the thing that ravens have that's analogous to a frontal lobe but and then saying children like i know from having uh especially a son who's not yet 25 that I've heard scientists say that his frontal lobe isn't even fully formed yet. So um, a, a raven might have more uh, ability to do that than a, a human without their frontal lobe fully formed. Is that true? Or is that too Is that a big leap to take? Um, probably not true, but true in another way. And that is that birds in general and ravens specifically develop much quicker than any yeah. mammal so they're uh, the ncl which is the prefrontal cortex then for birds is probably fully formed after just a year or so because okay. every test that we have run that we run like on developmental tests ravens reach the the highest stages that you find in great apes and humans but they sometimes do it in weeks days when it takes uh months or years for primates to reach that so that's yeah. a, a big and a very interesting difference between because we don't know what how they do it but it's probably part of their success yeah wow that's incredible because if you're like a raven couple yeah they can get four to six kids a year right and then they throw them out because then they're yeah. talking about smart yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they can get five six again if you're an orangutan you might be stuck with your one child for yeah. 10 15 years right, right. or as a human for 30 years exactly. uh, it's a very efficient way of uh, producing smartness or yeah. <laughs> high yeah. numbers of yeah, individuals that's very interesting so another aspect of raisins i find incredible is their vocal ability so what what makes them able to mimic other voices is it like a combination of evolved vocal box and access to a part of the brain that gives them quote unquote speech, because you had mentioned parrots earlier. And we always think about parrots being the best at mimicking. But if you hear a raven, they literally, to me, they sound more human than a parrot can. Yeah, if you go into look at some YouTube movies, you'll see that they're pretty good at mimicking human voices M might have to do with their like their basic calls it's closer to a human voice than, than a parrot is but uh this is they are vocal learners like they're songbirds people don't think that so often mm -hmm. i think but so all songbirds they are of course for them it's super important to learn the dialect of the place where they are oh. so if, if you have a songbird of some sort that migrates to another place to another lake where it hasn't been before it shuts up for a while because it hears that the other ones are not speaking the same dialect and then it <laughs> so it's super important for them and they start uh learning this like early on and the ravens maybe they have a, a more 
a repertoire which is more learned than others, so to speak, that other birds might have more, but now I'm just speculating, might have more innate or instinctive, but not purely, of course. So yeah. when they're small, they usually practice on their own in a corner or sitting on their own or wow. putting their head into a jar and gurgling so they hear their own voices. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, it has to do with vocal learning and it and also if you travel the world you you will hear certain typical raven calls that you will immediately recognize but then there are so many other calls that you've never heard so if i'm here in southern sweden even just between some forests you have they have completely different dialects wow. so it's uh, and also they, they have this so-called sad call which is uh I think it's uh, an abbreviation for self-advertisement display. Okay. Here I am, or uh, I am this or what. And that's completely specific for each individual. Each individual raven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they come up with that when they're like one or two years old. And I had one raven who were, he had an injured wing and he was sitting in a little aviary to heal, but that was just next to, uh, you know, these uh, electric fences. Right. Because the horses were outside. Ah. And electric fences, they make this clicking sound every once in a while. Yes. Uh, my hypothesis, I didn't see it, is probably that he saw that the, the, this 500 kilo chunk of meat will move when this click right. happens. After that, his SAD call became a click. And it looks wow. very fun because that they blow up their whole body and they take their wings out and they look just fabulous and then out comes the click. <laughs> that was it. That was just the click. Yeah, because okay. for him that was super impressive. Right. It was very powerful. Yeah. Right. That's so, so, so they can come up with whatever. Mm. That's um, that is incredible. I'm very impressed by that. So does that mean they have a temporal lobe? Well, well, yeah, they have, of course. Right, right, because <laughs> yeah. that's where speech is in the temporal. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of studies have been done on songbirds to understand human speech. So mm -hmm. it's a uh, quite analogous. Which is, uh, that's the most fascinating part that we are so similar, even if we're separated by three hundred twenty-five million years. Yeah, right. Um, um, people might not think about that. They see a smart animal. Well, that's smart, yeah. But it's a dinosaur, and it's far, far removed from you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so easy to get to know a raven, for example. And that's our common ancestor was like probably couldn't outsmart a toad mm. on a clever creature. Right. And now we're here, and we're so similar. Yeah. Wow. 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 I just have to pause for a minute. I just lost everything. I'm just I'm so you, you know, the other thing too is we we're we are we are the most recent species compared to these other animals. I mean, that's where we talk about how it, it what's astounding to me is how we we are so unaware of how intelligent these other species are when we've only been here for a couple minutes. Yeah, I think two million years ago the smartest creature on earth was a corvid. Mm. I believe that. No one can check me, but that's what I think. Yeah, no uh, one can check you. <laughs> you can stick with that truth. <laughs> it's difficult to think in 
as a human, it's difficult thinking geological time perspectives because they're so huge. But yeah. right now, it's like 20 million years. Yeah. Like that's a moment. Okay. So there is nothing that's saying that we are the only ones that will reach the level we've reached. Right. So rather birds and especially primates, no mammals as well. Birds and mammals, they walked hand in hand, at least since we became warm-blooded. Right. The same innovations, uh, I mean, cognitive innovations, similar things, uh, roughly around the same time. Often birds are ahead of mammals, to be honest. Right. Uh, so there's nothing that precludes that in a million years, 300,000 years, whatever, yeah. that you will have this type of uh, cognition in birds too. Because we are a chimpanzee, more or less, scaled up twice. Yeah. Our brains, I mean, the number of neurons, more or less. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's a good um, plot premise for an, uh, the, like a, a new version of the Planet of the Apes. It could be birds that are doing this yeah. now. I think that primates are honorary birds. Interesting. It's been said by... Nathan Emery in 2006 is a comparative uh, psychologist. Uh, when he, he wrote a paper on, on the similarities of corvids and apes, and he, he was just struck by how similar they are. So he named or dubbed the corvids feathered apes. But mm. I think it's the other way around. And we're getting more and more results showing that birds were actually earlier than the mammals. And a lot of the things we associate with mammal cognition is actually primate cognition which wow. has to do with our vision and uh, those things. So I think vision is very important and birds had a head start. Yeah. Um, also communication, vocal communication. Well, that's who's the best in the world on vocal communication. Well, humans maybe or probably, but birds, that's a huge group. Yeah. Of course, we have the marine mammals and so on, but I think birds right. and even uh, crocodilians, they are vocal communicators. Right. Uh, so, and that's the closest living relatives of birds. So, so I think uh, right. we are more similar to them than they are to us. Mm. Yeah, that's and amazing. we just happen to be the smartest right now. Yeah, debatable. So <laughs> now I wanted to talk about a term you introduced me to when we last spoke, um, and that's super play. So, what is that? And What's happening when you've witnessed this behavior in ravens? Well, uh, so, yeah, let's start from the beginning. Not really from the beginning, but play is usually like divided into motor play, where you play with your body in certain ways, or you come up with new strangeties. Object play, where you play with objects, and social play, where you play socially, which can be, of course, rhetorical and with um, objects but super play is when you do everything at the same time and even more it's like when you combine everything and that's something you see in corvids you see it in parrots you see it in great apes and probably in some uh, dolphins uh-huh but it's pretty unusual to see that the cats play dogs play uh, uh, more or less all animals play but very few animals play like this like completely crazy things that are just innovated in within a group or by an individual. They even invent games and things like that. So that's what uh, ravens do. And they also play, uh, I mean, until they die, more or less. 
So that, that's also something that shows, or animals with big brains, they play a lot. Hmm. They play uh, not only when they're young, but hmm. until they're like, like we do. I mean, yeah. science is just play. Right. right. It's uh, like, is it, is it sort of comparable to like a human playing a sport? Yeah, probably. I yeah. mean, um, and if, if you're well fed and everything is settled and you don't have to care about what, how to survive the day, then you play. Mm -hmm. So give me an example of what it would look like with a raven. Uh, a typical way is like hanging upside down from a branch, letting go and just falling towards the ground and wait until the last moment before you flash your wings out. And the, wow. the fun part is to get as close as possible to the to the ground. That's one They're thrill seekers then, then. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and they make it more and more difficult. And uh -huh. you can see that in other like great apes and dolphins that you try to make it as difficult as possible and reach higher and higher levels in completely meaningless stuff. And right. then you can see so so that's one and but then you can like when they're small, you sometimes you play with snow, so you throw snowballs at them, and they try to catch the snowballs. And they're like five or six of them sitting next to one another, and they try to. So they're like, I don't know which game Eating. that would be, yeah, right. <laughs> but it's like they're trying to get the the snowball ahead of any of the other ones. Right. Okay, uh, so okay, so hold, hold on one second, because this is now we're talking about prediction and consequences. Uh, you mean hanging upside down? <laughs> yes. Like yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, they're they're starting. They understand a consequence of if they wait too long, and mm -hmm. then they're it's like that prediction because they're learning through that repetition of what's going to happen. Yeah, if they succeed. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and let's use that example too. Like, would they do that? In competition with another friend like to see who could get closer to the ground is that how it like I, I don't know if anyone is like they often do it in front of others yeah okay when no one knows it but you can also see them when they if you see wild ravens playing they can all of a sudden just uh stop flapping their wings and putting them next to the body and fall as a rock towards the ground yeah uh, but that can also be used when you're fighting eagles or right what? Yeah. So they're very agile in the air, and you can often see them doing rolls and all kinds of stuff with one another. So they're or dropping stones or twigs in the air and trying to catch it afterwards, or letting the other one try to catch it. Oh uh, wow! Wow. So there's wow. a lot of play going on. So uh, that super play must be a huge contributor to their evolution their brain evolution right because that's because there's i feel like the smaller the species you are the quicker you evolve don't know if that's true i'm just sort of making that but that's kind of what i've heard so is this like are they just getting smarter and smarter every time they have babies <laughs> you mean that the babies like each generation is getting smarter or yeah, the parents pass these genes down now they know how to go catch a stick and play fetch i mean I'm not sure about that, but I, th I, th uh, they are pretty smart already, right. and that's why they can be all over the world, more or less. I mean, corvids. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's not that they, um, yeah, it's the other way around. Often right. the same is true for us that like we can be on most parts of this globe because we're smart enough, even if we didn't evolve to mm -hmm. be where we are. And the yeah. same is true for them and many others. But uh, yeah, but play 
no one knows what it, what it is really, what it's for, but it has been highly associated with brain health, also in humans. Interesting. Uh, and it seems also that animals with bigger brains play more. So it's it's a it's an enigma. It's a bit like sleep. Uh, that's my hypothesis. Interesting. It seems to be completely meaningless and takes a lot of time. And <laughs> if you don't do it, your brain rots. Yeah, you don't feel good. Right. Yeah. So does that mean that ravens sleep like a human? Do they? Oh dream? yeah, yeah. That's not. Yeah, they sleep. <laughs> do, they, do, do you know if they dream? Uh, I think they have REM sleep, uh, which is associated with dreams in in uh, humans. Yeah. But you know, dreaming is a very difficult area to study. Some I, I have never studied, but I've learned that it's difficult. Uh, but of course, they, they they give away small, especially when they're kids, calls in their sleep, as if they were just like dogs, you know. Yeah. Right. 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 Sleep. Yeah. So then thinking of this does do ravens have access to empathy or perception and like what you were talking about earlier within that super play do they experience then they do experience emotional contagion is that true well we used actually play to study whether they have emotional contagion mm -hmm. right so Emotional contagion is that you, uh, to put it simply, that you get into the same mood as someone else. Uh, because there is something else called behavioral synchronization. And that is when if a chicken is eating somewhere, the other one will also start eating. Or if, uh, yeah, these be, you see these behaviors all over, like uh, if a flock of birds, so one bird suddenly flies, the rest will fly. And so, But that's not the same thing. So right. what we did was actually, since birds or ravens do play in many, many different ways, we instigated play with an object, for example, in one individual. So that that's they were like two years old, one or two, when they're really playful. So we give them a favorite uh, toy, right. and you have a whole group of ravens, but the other ones are not getting the toy. So the first one is just starting to play. And then you see the play spreading within the group. But it's not behavioral synchronization because not everyone is starting to do object play. Instead, some are doing social play, some are doing like a, a motor play, as, and so, so it's the mood, the play, playful mood is spreading. So that's the way we studied it, and it's been replicated by others as well. Uh, we tried to do this in Reyes, if you know what that is. No. Flightless birds okay. South America we were surprised by how much they played especially as juveniles and that they do they do they wrestle and they do all kind but we couldn't find that type of emotional contagion but that's probably because they don't have that many modes of play uh -huh. so uh, playful mood at least spreads interesting so then what would what do you do with the word empathy in context to ravens uh, it's a difficult word. <laughs> right. Uh, it's like by having emotional contagion, and by also they, of course, they care about their chicks, and they very much care about their uh, partners or their affiliates or friends. So if someone is fighting them or something else, they will help, and that's an example of empathy. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
and wow this is like blowing my mind and also they they uh, console someone who's been injured or something or been in a fight with someone else then they go over and try to calm them down mm. do they also empathy because then yeah. then then they're not in the same mood as the other one but they can realize that the other one is right upset or something right so if there was an injured raven in there what do you call a bunch of ravens a family of ravens what do you call that uh, I actually don't know. It's a murder of crows, and, it's yeah. a <laughs> and then, but ravens is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. So in a group, let's say, let's say uh, a raven's friend is injured. Would it bring it food? No one has ever seen that. Right. I don't know, to be honest. Uh, but I mean, in the pair, I would say that's possible because they feed each other all the time. As like, a, especially the male feeds the female as a token of something. Sometimes she doesn't like it to get stuff down the beak, a lot of food. I, mean, I can relate. Food. Sometimes the cooking's <laughs> just not that good. <laughs> so it might might happen within the pair. And you should also not forget that ravens are actually mostly pair bonded. So they don't like, uh, they live in groups like the first one to seven years of their lives, depending on if they found a partner and a territory. Okay. But after that, they are territorial even if they do remember their old friends and even siblings and so on right. so um but empathy if you want to study that i think one should study within the pair yes interesting yeah. so you know our last question um sort of like focused around your perspective of this conversation and how it relates to humans but you know looking at ravens they show up in many cultures and myths and they really do hold a magic about them obviously um their image and voice you know echo throughout history from the norse god odin to greek mythology all the way to edgar Allan poe and we're really quite taken with these animals and maybe that's because humans have identified the intelligence of these birds for a long time from your perspective why is this a more important conversation in terms of how this better connects us to animals in the natural world and what new perspectives or awarenesses can we gain about ourselves through understanding corvids? I mean, I would say the list is long. Well, I would like to return to this geological perspective that it might be the case that in 500,000 years, the most intelligent creatures are not us. Mm -hmm. And two million years ago, when there were ancestors of ours that looked very much like a bipedal semi-human ape they were probably not the smartest so it's like you have to understand that humans right now exist here with their intelligence but it's nothing unique probably it might not stay like that all the time it is perhaps I mean, we are the ones that can talk about it right now, of course. It could have been Corvids. So there's nothing given in that it's us here. Obviously, yeah. something must have happened during evolution that made that happen. But since birds and mammals have walked hand in hand for so long, uh, we should be a little bit more humble. And mm. trying to understand, even the chicken in your backyard, it's a wonder of intelligence. Yes. Compared to 
Now I'm being very mammalo angry, but <laughs> compared to many mammals, uh, the chicken is like yeah, fantastically clever, also mm -hmm. social. But our problem as mammals is that we can't really see birds as we see mammals because they're so quick. So all their behaviors and so on goes so quick that we can't read them in the same way as, as uh, our dogs and cats. Right, 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 right. But I love your your perspective of, of, of humble. I think that's such a fantastic reminder for us humans to, to really take the time to understand the, the ecosystems that we, we live within. And I think corvids are just such, and birds are such an incredible example of um, when just from this brief conversation we've had, my mind is so blown by the ability um, for these, these animals and it is humbling and it makes me feel really way dumber. And I love that. It's like just the fact what they can do that they've been doing for so, so long that I'm still not doing as well as they are. Um, I find just an incredible. A more grim perspective could be that the last human, the last dead human will probably be eaten by a Corvid. <laughs> and then they will take over yeah well on that note we are going to end this conversation because that's my favorite ending of any interview i've ever had so yes i love that grim perspective so where can we find your work to learn to learn more about your research and the incredible world of corvids and beyond Ooh, i'm not on any social media because i don't like it but uh, <laughs> Uh, and we're utterly unupdated in our web pages and so on. But you can probably go into www.deeptimecognition.lu.se, where we describe one of our projects where we actually look at the sauropsids, which is the lineage where the birds and the dinosaurs and all the reptiles are, or we collaborate with uh, brain anatomists and, and paleontologists and so on. Well, um, Matthias, thank you so much for joining us today. That was mind blowing and fascinating. And now I have 1000 more questions and I want to read up on all of the, um, the experiments you've done. And, and I just find these animals incredible and they did not disappoint. So thank you so much for your time. And, thank you. um, I'm going to go rest my brain now, my dull brain and learn. <laughs> you don't get eaten by a Corbin. Yep. <laughs> Um, and yeah, again, thank you so much. This has been absolutely enjoyable to speak to you. Thank you very much. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Takeaway. Uh, yet another pretty astounding uh, interview and conversation with Matthias. Um, I, I, my, I've got to have a dictionary on hand and it kind of just blew my mind a couple times. Um, yeah. I think there's kind of one big takeaway and two parts to it for me. Um, I think what really hit me, and we've known this, and we're knowing it more and more and more, right? But it's really that we walk around on this planet um, totally oblivious to what is actually operating around us, right? And what level of cognition is within so many forms of life and 
I mean, I'm talking about me. I say we, and I think that's true for the majority of the planet. I do. Uh, yeah. I just think thinking about the higher intelligence of so many animals and plants in this world. And, you know, the other part of this for me is that you, we only know what we know because once upon a time, one person decided that they wanted to dig really deep into, you know, the the ecology and biology and mechanics of a thing, right? Like if if Matthias had not done this work, we wouldn't know the depth of cognitions, cognition that ravens have. Um, right. And I just think that, you know, so what that means is, you know, think of how many species there are out there that it will just take that one person or group getting together and saying, hey, let's learn about this animal. And then we're all blown right. away by how smart that animal is and what right. it does. And right. Or what we still don't know about so many species or even, yeah, the uh, breadth of the amount of species that exist too. That's well, the other thing. There's that. There's one trillion, zillion, billion out there. And yet... Um, but it, yes, your point being, thank goodness for these people who decide that this is their life's work and they they do the work to enlighten and illuminate all the rest of us. And I'm very appreciative of that. I mean, that's truly a takeaway uh, that builds, I feel like every time we talk to somebody is that I'm just yeah. so grateful that there are these people doing these jobs yeah. and doing this work and doing this research and putting in the hours just because that's they're driven to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and clearly, you know, he's he's intelligent and he's passionate and he's yes. so like I know everyone throws this word curious around. I think curious is an understatement for him and you know, he's talking about dinosaurs and he's talking about like crocodilians and all this other stuff and um Again, we'll we'll throw up some links on the website and through social media about some of his other research that's just so fascinating. And because of his like just passion for wanting to know more, um, it it really is. It's it's I guess it's just such a gift to, to to Kindred to be able to talk with someone like him because, you know, he just gets to tell us all these anecdotes about ravens that I never ever would have known. And now. I saw a crow um, this morning, and it's the same kind of thing. Like, oh, I know how smart you are, smarty pants. I see you. Yeah. You know? And like we had mentioned in the intro, you and I, when we were in Sedona, we saw that group of, of ravens, and you and I were like, oh, that's the that's the guy that 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 one's the boss, like the biggest one. And you could just tell how that bird was behaving. That it was kind of just chirping out orders. It was just crazy. And they really, yeah, and they really are. Clearly, if you take any time to observe them, uh, superior intelligence. They, there's really, like you said in the intro, there's something about their energy that's just different. Yeah. And right. um, and I love that he's talking about them as like flying primates, right? Like let's yeah. turn to them first instead of right. humans. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just it's very humbling. It's very humbling, and it just kind of opened my eyes or put a different lens, you know over my eyes or whatever just to just to see again the natural world as um unpredictably astonishing and just because i just don't know yeah. uh, but it was such a great reminder for me and uh we're just so appreciative to, to everybody who 
who, who speaks with us. And thanks again to, to Matthias. And thank you, um, everyone, for listening. And just a quick little shout out. You can find more on Matthias Osfat and his long career and extensive research on much, much more than only Ravens at lunduniversity.lu.se. And of course, as always, you can head over to our website, kindredpodcast.co for guest links and show notes. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Kindred Pod for more lovely content. And again, if you especially like this episode, please rate and review us. I can't tell you what a difference it makes. um, And we so appreciate it. And I appreciate you, Jennifer, being here with us today, too. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Anytime. You're always welcome. (laughs) So thanks for listening and lots of love. Kindred is hosted by me and my sister, Jen. Produced by Kat Gaddy and myself. Sound production and editing by Dan Cooper. Original music by Ellie Grace. And our Kindred artwork was created by Lindsay Coffin. Please follow, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to contact us through our website at kindredpodcast.co, where you can also find links to our socials, Patreon page, and show notes.